We're now six weeks in, and Kansas lawmakers are still in a kind of holding pattern. Election year politics and battles over abortion and Medicaid expansion continue to divide and paralyze them. But they do appear to be moving ahead with efforts to curb the use of e-cigarettes by Kansas teens and ease penalties for marijuana possession. I'm Jim McLean, and this is Statehouse Planned Kansas, a podcast from the Kansas News Service. We've come to count on Statehouse reporter Stephen Caranda to be here week in and week out to catch us up. And reliable guy that he is, he joins me now. Okay, Stephen, so conservative Republicans on a Senate committee have increased the stakes in the abortion Medicaid expansion battle by rewriting the compromise that Democratic Governor Laura Kelly and Republican Senate Majority Leader Jim Denning negotiated on expansion at the start of the session. Uh, Those changes include blocking implementation of expansion until Kansas voters pass the constitutional amendment on abortion and until a federal court case against the Affordable Care Act is resolved. So as we've talked about before, this is a bipartisan Medicaid compromise, but not every Republican leader uh, is on board. People like Senate President Susan Wagel have wanted to delay Medicaid expansion talk until we get this constitutional amendment on abortion through the legislature. And now they've made that even clearer by putting in the bill that Medicaid expansion cannot happen until this abortion amendment passes. Now, but even after those amendments were added, Republicans blocked efforts to move the bill out of committee and onto the Senate floor. Uh, Why do you think that is? Well, as we know, uh, the Senate has 40 senators, and this uh, compromise Medicaid agreement has 22 co-sponsors. So it only takes 21 senators to pass a bill or to amend a bill. So if it goes to the floor, it sure looks like the supporters of the original plan might be able to amend it, take out all the things the committee added, and just approve the original agreement. Yeah, and so keeping it sitting in committee with these amendments added to it, Uh, maybe has the intended effect of even ratcheting up pressure on that handful of legislators still blocking passage of the constitutional amendment. And it's also a way for Senate President Susan Wagle, who's not a fan of expansion, Mm -hmm. to keep the bill held up. Last week, we, we talked about a bill moving through the House that would do several things related to the sale of tobacco products and vaping devices. And there have been some recent changes. So can you update us? Yeah, so this bill is now on its way to the full House, and it would have the state law mirror a new federal law that changes the age to buy tobacco and vaping products to 21. The federal law already does that. Why yes. do we need to have a state law? If we have it in state law as well, then the state can enforce it and use our tobacco enforcement mm. resources to do that. And it also makes sure that we are in a compliance with federal law, which always makes it easier to get grants. And sometimes if you're not exactly doing things the way the federal government says, sometimes grant money can be at risk. What about the other part of the bill, the proposed state ban on flavored vaping juices? Did the committee make any changes to that? Oh, they sure did. This was a really big part of the bill that was attracting a lot of attention. And in some ways, the lawmakers just kind of punted on the issue. Originally, the bill would have banned all flavored vaping products except menthol, And, you know, health advocates even think that didn't go far enough. For example, here's Jordan Fireburn from the American Cancer Society. If we're going to address flavors at the state level, we would like to see them do it in a comprehensive way that doesn't exempt menthol and that covers all products, not just electronic cigarettes. But there have been big changes beyond that now, right? Probably changes that go the other way from the direction that uh, public health advocates wanted it to go. Correct. They pulled back even more. So now what this would do, just like with the uh, tobacco buying age of 21, it would just sink 
state law up with a federal food and drug administration policies. So some types of flavored vape products like pods would be banned like they are under federal law, but you can still get hundreds of flavors of vape juice in other forms like vials that you would use to fill a vape pen. Wow, sounds awfully confusing to me. Am I the only one here? No, it's gotten significantly more complicated. So check me if I'm wrong on this. The bottom line, it appears to me, is that the issue remains unsettled, at least from the perspective of public health advocates who are probably going to continue to push for a more aggressive and comprehensive ban on vaping products because they want to curb their use and the resulting nicotine addiction among teens. That's exactly right. Very good. Stephen Coranda, State House reporter for the Kansas News Service. I always appreciate you coming by and bringing us up to speed on these issues. Well, thank you. Politics has always played a role in what does and doesn't happen at the Kansas State House. But this year, it seems to be the driving force. That's due in part to the fact that one of the most powerful members of the legislature, Republican Senate President Susan Wagle, is putting a political stake in the ground on two of the session's biggest issues abortion, and Medicaid expansion. If people say that you're doing this strictly for political reasons, your response to that would be? I'm pro-life. I've always been pro-life. And my my position hasn't wavered from day one when I was elected in a very pro-choice House and Senate. So it's it's not fake. Wagle's insistence on blocking a compromise expansion bill until lawmakers send a constitutional amendment on abortion to the Kansas voters is, to say the least, disrupting the session. But, says Washburn University political scientist Bob Beatty, it could also be boosting her long-shot bid for the U.S. Senate. I I think it can help her campaign quite a bit, uh, especially given the context of this Republican primary. And the context is there's two huge names. Chris Kobach is the biggest, of course, and then Roger Marshall, who's a U.S. congressman. So they're going to dominate uh, really the race. So a person like Susan Wagle, meaning someone... Um, from the state house, a legislator, most people aren't going to know who that who she is. And you may think, "What do you mean you don't know who the, Susan Wagle is? Everybody knows her." No, uh, most primary voters do not know state legislators, no matter what their position. They know Congress people. They someone like Chris Kobach who ran for governor. So re- name recognition is huge in a primary. So what S- Susan Wagle needs to do to break out in this in this primary race is find something that differentiates herself from these two names, Marshall and Kobach. And in Kansas, abortion is a real, real good way to do that. This year, this abortion issue, because of the recent Kansas Supreme Court ruling, which essentially says uh, that a woman's right uh, to abortion is guaranteed in Kansas by the state constitution, not the federal constitution, uh, given the fact that the Supreme Court has served up that ruling and there is this battle in the State House now over a proposed constitutional amendment to essentially overturn that ruling, I mean, that's a gift to somebody like Susan Wagle, isn't it, in, in, in a primary? It's a very appropriate uh, term because she could be able to show how far she's willing to fight on this issue by essentially in some way shutting down the legislature, which a lot of people may not like but would make a heck of a TV commercial if you're trying to show that you're fighting um, you know, against abortion. Polls show Wagle and Dave Lindstrom trailing former Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach and First District Congressman Roger Marshall in the race for the Republican U.S. Senate nomination. Wagle's running a distant third. The most recent poll released by Kobach's campaign shows him leading the pack, up by double digits on Marshall. 
Beatty has reviewed that poll and thinks it's an accurate reflection of where things stand, at least for now. Yeah, I mean, there's been a few polls out, and, and some show it to be like a, a closer race between Kovac and Marshall. This poll, you know, shows uh, Chris Kovac maybe with a, a 10-point lead, give or take the margin of error. But the key is that right now Susan Wagle is under 10%. But, you know, that all makes sense. Keep in mind there's been no radio ads, you know, there's been no TV ads. The, the real campaign season hasn't hit yet. So this poll is a good sense of, of where we are right now, which means, they're, uh, at least for Marshall and Wagle, they're going to have to figure out a way uh, to break through that Kobach uh, base, which he seems to have in the primary. The two main competitors for the Democratic nomination for the U.S. Senate are State Senator Barbara Boyer and Usha Reddy, a teacher and city commissioner from Manhattan. Boyer, a former Republican from Mission Hills who switched parties after winning re-election in 2018, appears to be the front-runner. With backing from former Governor Kathleen Sebelius, it took Boyer only three months to raise more than a million dollars. But a Democrat hasn't won a U.S. Senate seat in Kansas since 1932. And Beatty says even in the current political climate, Boyer is facing an uphill battle. The Democrats want to be in a position where if everything goes right, they have a candidate there that can take advantage of it. If circumstances pile up, and maybe Kobach gets the nomination, maybe the anti-Trump wave is, is much, much higher than people might have thought, she's in a position to take advantage of it. Uh, that means she has a chance, but it'd still be a difficult race. Washburn University political scientist Bob Beatty. He keeps a close eye on Kansas politics, so we'll keep in touch with him throughout this election year. We close this week's Statehouse Blend Kansas with a conversation about an effort being led by the American Civil Liberties Union of Kansas to bring Kansas marijuana laws more in line with those in other states. It's not an effort to legalize pot either for medical or recreational purposes. It's an attempt to reduce the criminal penalty for marijuana possession. Joining me to talk about it is Nomeen Ujia Dean. She covers criminal justice issues for the Kansas News Service. Hi, Nomeen. Hi, Jim. So what are we talking about here? What kind of changes are lawmakers considering? So right now, under Kansas law, the first two times that a person uh, is charged with possession of marijuana, um, they're charged with a misdemeanor, and the third time they're charged with a felony. Okay. Uh, and so if convicted, those people often get sent to prison. Uh, felonies carry prison sentences that are longer and, and fines that are a lot larger than misdemeanors. And so this bill would reduce possession of marijuana to a misdemeanor in all cases, no matter how many times a person has been caught. And it would also require the release of people who are serving time in prison for possession of marijuana. I understand there's some resistance to the idea about letting people out of prison. Uh, that's correct. So so the two groups who were mainly opposed to the that idea were law enforcement in Kansas and county and district attorneys, a.k.a. the prosecutors. Mm -hmm. um, so police were opposed to eliminating the felony in general, uh, but they were even more opposed to applying it retroactively and letting people out of prison uh, for previous crimes. Uh, and the prosecutors also brought up that the law wasn't really clear which part of a sentence uh, would be affected. And they also brought up the fact that many charges are negotiated down from the original yeah, charges. Mm -hmm. Right, right. right. Mm -hmm. And so so there's a lot of uh, complicated issues Yeah, there. that's what I'm getting out of this conversation. Yeah. It's more complicated <laughs> than it might first appear, that's right? right? Yeah. Okay. You've also done quite a bit of reporting on prison overcrowding. Is this also an attempt to reduce the state's burgeoning prison population? Is that a secondary uh, goal? 
you know, I didn't hear legislators talk about that very much during committee. Uh, right now, Kansas prisons are over capacity by about 120 inmates, and they've been over capacity for at least a few years now. Uh, according to the Kansas Sentencing Commission, which does uh, estimates on, on these types of bills mm-hmm, based mm-hmm. On, on various models, they say that this bill would prevent 20 people from going to state prison in 2021, and it would further reduce the population by an estimated 22 people. So that's a total of 42 people in 2021. It's not a lot of people overall, but it could put a dent in um, the capacity of the prisons. The American Civil Liberties Union is also pushing this bill for other reasons. So the ACLU actually looks at this bill as a way to reduce racial discrimination when it comes to policing and and arrests and, and marijuana charges. According to some data that the ACLU put forward, Black people in Kansas are much more likely to be arrested for marijuana possession than white people, and that's pretty common in the rest of the United States. Um, Kansas is the 13th highest state in the U.S. as far as that racial disparity goes. So this would be a small step towards decriminalization in Kansas, but when it comes to reforming marijuana laws writ large, aren't most states doing an awful lot more than Kansas? That's true, yeah. Uh, Kansas is one of only four states in the U.S. that does not have some kind of established medical marijuana program or recreational marijuana program. Uh, About half of the states in the country have also decriminalized the drug to some degree. And by decriminalize, I mean that on the state level, possession of marijuana is either no longer a crime or it's just a really low-level misdemeanor that uh, doesn't really carry with it any prison sentence. Um... That is something that Nadine Johnson of the ACLU actually brought up both during her committee testimony and to me after the committee. She said that the ACLU was hoping to push this issue on an incremental level, uh, just trying to keep it realistic because some sort of sweeping decriminalization or reform is is not likely to pass in Kansas. So small steps, at least for now. That's right. All right. Nomin Eugia Dean, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. That's a wrap for this week. If you're a regular listener, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tune in to your favorite public radio station or go to our website for more Statehouse news from the Kansas News Service. You can find that page at ksnewsservice.org. This is Statehouse Blend Kansas in Topeka. I'm Jim McLean. Statehouse Blend Kansas is a production of the Kansas News Service, a collaboration of public radio stations across the state. Our theme music was provided by Nameless Dancers. Follow the Kansas News Service at ksnewsservice.org and subscribe to Statehouse Blend wherever you get your podcasts.